You're listening to episode 95 of the Product Boss Podcast. In this episode, we chat with Sue Monheit of Gift Biz Unwrapped. Sue helps gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers pursue their dreams. In this episode, we chat about the business side of making. So this really is the tip of the iceberg on this topic and the reason why I wanted to jump in here and ask you Would you like to hear more episodes like this one from myself and Jacqueline for makers? So let us know. You can DM us on Instagram. We are at the product boss over there. Or better yet, let us know your favorite types of episodes in a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it and we work really hard to give you the best content that will help your business grow. So on to the episode with Sue. Let's get started. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sitap, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. In introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder. She has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Welcome to the podcast, Sue. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We are so excited that you are here. (laughs) So we've had a chance to meet Sue in person too. We're so excited when we get to have guests on the podcast um, that we've been able to work with and be with in person. And so there's just, it's just great. And we're so honored that you're here to share all of your knowledge with our listeners. Well, it's really going to be fun because our audiences are compatible, right? I mean, your specialty is a little bit different than my specialty, but they merge together. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. So tell us a little bit about you and your businesses, because you have two businesses and a podcast. Yeah, a little crazy, (laughs) like probably all of us here. Um, I'll just kind of cut to where we are now. So I have a company called the Ribbon Print Company. We sell custom ribbon printing systems to gift shops, chocolate owners, event planners, schools, like all different types of things. And some of my discovery with interacting with that audience actually led me to start the Gift Biz brand. What I was finding is so many people who are creators, um, I work with people who are physically making their own product versus having a factory making and producing in bulk. That may be a step that my audience goes to later, but they start with their own product and then you know we go on from there. But what I found through trade shows at the Ribbon Print Company is so many people in this area don't know how to start a business. And so, and other issues that come along, the mindset of, well, what if I do it wrong from the start, you know, all that type of thing. That led me to feeling like, oh my gosh, I want to help these people because they have gorgeous things that we all want. And they need to be selling them to us because we want them. (laughs) So that's what led me to doing the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. And it wasn't until about two years into the podcast that I started creating programs and all of that um, 
that's how that's developed. So that's still young. That's only about a year and a half old. The ribbon print company has been up and running for about 10 years now. That's kind of a quick synopsis, if you will. And so do you typically work with startups, the startup makers, or how, what, what stage in the business are you usually finding them in? Really 50-50. I mean, a lot of people have been making for a long time, but never really selling. You know, and now all of a sudden they're thinking about doing that. But then I also have a lot of people, and this is what I wrote a book on last year, a lot of people who have started and they get stuck. Like it's not working the way they thought it would. They're not making the money or they're not attracting customers or they're getting discouraged because they're throwing a lot of money at a business that's not returning. And so um, that's when I wrote my book. It's called Maker to Master, Find and Fix What's Not Working in Your Small Business. And lots of times what I'm finding, it's the basic stuff to starting a business that was never put in place. Because a lot of times when people start a business, the first thing they do is, oh my gosh, what am I going to name it? You know, like they jump way <laughs> ahead of the process to the fun stuff before getting some of the basic elements in place. What are you finding that their biggest mindset issue is when they're in that stage? Um, I think there's two things. The first one is they're afraid to make a mistake and then have that out for public viewing <laughs> that they didn't <laughs> do it right. You know, one of the things that is so crazy to me is that there's a maker who makes something and they've, let's say it's candles or scarves or you name it, and it's usually their friends or family who say, oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. You could be making money selling this. Why don't you start a company? And then when they do, they don't tell those same people that they're in business <laughs> because they yeah. don't want to fail. You know, they're afraid of you know, it's, you know, it's all self-doubt, right? When really the very first people who will support you in your business are your friends and family. I mean, that yeah. only lasts for a short amount of time, but you ought to be telling them, <laughs> you know, what you're doing. So I find that that's a big thing is that people are just not getting the word out because of the mindset, because they're afraid to fail. And the other thing is really like what we started talking about in the beginning is not laying those very important things right in the beginning. And a lot of them are really easy. They're not hard to do. You just need to do it. Like have a separate bank account for your business. So you when, know where the money is coming in and out, you know, that like just basic things like that, you know, registering your business properly on, you know, that type of thing. Wouldn't you say though, oftentimes makers don't find themselves business people. I'm saying that in, in air quotes. So, cause my mom is actually a maker. I think we've talked about this personally, but she's yeah. always like, I make, I know how to be creative, but she doesn't know how to necessarily flip it into a business. So she can sell to her friends or she sells to people. But then I think mindset wise too, people don't always feel like, you know, I, I feel like people default to saying like, Oh, I needed a business degree or I'm just not a but you are like, you are an entrepreneur. You just need to know maybe the steps to set it up. I mean, what would you say to that? I agree with you a hundred percent, but I also, I, and that goes into the point where people are thinking, well, I'm going to fail. I don't know. You know, so some of it is mindset too, because really a lot of these steps are not that hard to take. You just need to know what steps to take. Mm -hmm. And selling to your friends, like I think if you know, if they know to come to you for something. So for example, my mother sells baby blankets. She tries to make all sorts of blankets, but constantly people are having babies and her friends and family, they come back to her because every single person is like, when there's a baby born, we're going to go to Lydia and Lydia is going to make us that blanket. So I think when you're really specific and at least friends and family, because as they start to buy more and gift it to people, 
then those people will now know about you. So it's that sort of like organic uh, chain reaction of how things used to be sold. Like it doesn't always have to be global or on the internet and that sort of no, thing, right? No, I agree with you there. And I think that's a really good starting place for people because they can check their systems, like to do it really as a professional business, but to friends and family. So you start building up your sales, you start learning how to ship a product if you're going to be sending it away versus, you know, just hand delivering it, it somewhere to your friend or whatever. Um, checking your checkout processes if you have a shop online, just making sure that everything's stable. But friends and family only takes you so far. And that's also where I think people get stuck is they're like, well, okay, I'm selling to friends and family and that's all good. But like, where's everyone else? <laughs> you know, Why aren't they coming to me? Because they're not thinking of the extension of what they need to start doing next. Yeah. And I think there's a different approach to when you're selling to your friends and family, you almost you know, it is a lot of the handing it out and one-on-one interaction. You can only practice on them so much. You know, they don't really come to you with the real problems of, hey, I didn't like how you packaged this or, hey, I didn't like how long it took you to to fulfill this order for me or any of those things. So I think that um, it's hard to really get enough the rest you have to kind of fill in the gaps of, you know, best practices for a real business versus a hobby. Right. And I think there's another thing with friends and family. um, And I push back with my clients all the time on this is pricing. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to give their friends and family a deal and okay, where, where that may come into play family discounts, you know, all that, where that may come into play sometimes if that's what you're doing. And then you just extend that pricing on as you move forward. You know, I've seen so many people who aren't even covering costs. You know, they're selling, so they think they have a business going, but they're actually still losing money. Mm-hmm. So when you work with um, the makers, because you work with gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers, right? Yay! I love it. You got it exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks. No. Um, and so when you work with them, how do you help them price their hours? So you're still working with people that are that are in their business, and we do have people that are still making their product, you know, whether they're making soap or oils or whatever they're making. Um, mm-hmm. How do you help them account for the cost, like the cost of goods and materials, plus their own personal labor to cost it correctly to sell it, whether they're selling direct to customer or I guess you're probably not working wholesale, but let's say direct to customer. Some are. Some are. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause, Cause that's, you know, as people get established, that would be the next step depending if they want to do the volume play right? Not everybody does, by the way. And some people, you know, I say sometimes you grow yourself out of your passion because some people, you know, it all starts with what are you trying to do in the first place? You know, are you looking for side income that's going to support a family trip or something like that um, versus you want this to sustain you or replace your nine to five, you know, whatever. But back to your question about pricing, you know, the first thing is what are the raw costs, you know, of the product that you're making, which includes the container, you know, all of that. But then there's some other side costs that I think people forget about. Like, let's talk about the um, shipping costs that it took to, for you to get the product, you know, or if you had to drive somewhere and get it, you know, those are all costs too. And what about packaging? So it's not just making it, but what are you packaging it in? All of that. So all of those little side things have to be considered. And then time. And time um, is a big one because so many people in the maker's business think 
well, you know, that I'm not going to charge for because it's not worth, like, that's not part of it. You know, yes, I get margin, but I shouldn't also be putting in my time. And yeah, you need to, because if you ever want to grow, you've got to know what your time is, because if you're going to bring in people to help. So then we start talking about, well, how many of X product can you make within a half an hour or an hour, you know, and then break it all up from there. So time definitely has to be included and also margin. You know, it's the whole, it's the whole thing. I mean, clearly pricing varies by industry as well, of course, you know, pricing models for a consumable product like cupcakes is different than candles, you know, but the ideas are the same you know, the components are the same. Yeah. And when you don't have the right margin or the, you know, the right profit in there, you're just being busy, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's where people get mixed up with the busyness as versus profitable because you feel like you're profitable because you're so busy. But if you don't have the right margin, you're just busy, you know? Right. Right. (laughs) I remember the one time some, I think it was my brother, he had like stepped into my business some years ago and he's like, you know, you could go get a part-time job working somewhere else and make more than you're making in your own business. Or like, you know, and I was like, oh my God, I'm spending all the hours all night, all the things, you know, like blood, sweat, tears, like lots of tears. And I'm, and I could just go work for someone else and not take that home. And obviously there's that balance, but that was like that click in my head where I was like, well, I love doing what I do, but I do need to pay myself at least, you know, a minimum wage. So, but oftentimes I tell my clients, and I don't know if you agree, but I like that I, you, if you value your time and you're like, I should get paid $50 an hour, that's great. But what I would rather them charge for their labor is if they were able to hire someone that could do that. So let's say it's someone who's making the soaps and pouring the soaps or whatever it is. Um, how much would that labor cost? If that person's a $15 an hour or a $20 an hour person, then that's what you bill for your labor into your, like you said, obviously like mm-hmm. how long it takes to do a batch, how many you can make per hour, you break that all down. But even though you value your time as like the CEO or the owner of your business, those those hourly amounts are for other tasks that you're doing versus actual labor on your on your right phone. right this ends up being a big topic within the group too because you think that um the more i sell you know if you're a one man show the more you sell the more work you've just made for yourself and you you're limited you know there's only so much you can do within your business so you're right then you have to consider bringing people on and really what you should be doing is capturing more business. I mean, you are the CEO now, so you should be doing different types of tasks. Not necessarily right in the beginning. You know, you have to make sure that your product sells, that you've got traction, et cetera. But then you want to be growing your business. So I absolutely agree with you. You look at, you look at um, labor in terms of what you would have, what, would you do, what you would do to have somebody else making your product. But there's another thing there, which is the, conscious release of actually making it because so many people started because they love making mm-hmm. so that's another point it's kind of like a you know come to jesus type thing like is that what you want to do you know do you really want to be the head business owner or do you love making i have a um, potter up in wisconsin and guess what he loves making he loves making he loves talking to customers he loves going to trade shows um, in, or craft shows, interacting with people, and that's all he wants to do. And so he's fine with, you know, he's figured out how much he can make every month based on what he can actually tangibly make. And that's as big as he wants his business to be, period. 
you know, that's it. I mean, I, I totally respect that. I guess what I'm trying to say too, is that he, like you just can't, he can't charge $75 an hour maybe for making a pot, right? It might not be able to, unless he's a major artist, it may, may not be able to translate into the making cost of it versus whatever his markup is from his cost to his retail. That's where him as the business owner will make that right. other money. So I just, I think sometimes like I know some of the makers I've worked with, like they just don't know how to cost their hourly making Mm-hmm. Into I agree. Total cost of a, yeah, an item. I agree. I wish I had that problem. I I don't have people. I'm not having to push people down on their okay. production costs. I'm having to push people up okay. <laughs> to, to show the value in the making. Because the other thing about making is you've probably first off you've invested in equipment. You've invested in a ton of hours to get whatever technique you're using to produce whatever the resulting product is. And so there's a lot in there and you've learned how to use equipment and you have a skill. So it's all of that. So I'm really more on having to, I'm seeing more on the other end, having to prop people up and say, no, the making is worth a whole lot more than what you're saying. And sometimes they start with zero. Do you have any tips as far as people who come to the maker market, let's say, and they have candles or they have cupcakes or they have things that are common to the marketplace, how would you recommend them to stand out in the crowd? Okay. I'm so excited that we're talking about this topic. And I want to start with a story. Um, This is a real true story. I was up at a trade show. It was, a, um, it was a consumer show, but it was Canada's Baking and Sweets. They have an America's Baking and Sweets. This was Canada's Baking and Sweets. It's about probably six or seven years ago now. And they have classes on how to use the fondant and make, you know, like all these fun classes. And we were there at the ribbon print company booth, you know, printing ribbon, teaching people how to incorporate, all that kind of thing. And At our booths, we print ribbon on site for people so they can see how easy it is to customize. And this girl comes up and we're just printing the ribbon and doing our normal thing. All of a sudden, she breaks down in tears. Like, I'm not even kidding you, from like zero to 100 in like a half a second. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I say? What did I do? Like, was it me? And I asked the other person who was working the booth with me, can you just take over? Let me go talk to her. Like, I did, like, did she just see something on her phone that someone passed away? Like, what ha- what's happening? And so we went over to a table and started talking. And her story was that she had come to this um, trade show with really high hopes. She wanted to start a cupcake company. And she wanted to... Um, eventually had this possibly replace a part-time job that she had. And she was devastated because she saw and kept running into so many people who already have cupcake companies. So she's like, this dream that I have is now shattered. I can't do it because everyone else is already doing it. Everyone else is already there. So we had a little conversation about that, that that's True, there are a lot of people, but you're also in a very condensed area. You're at a baking show. So, of course, those are going to be the people who are there. But there's always a place for you, whether you're a cupcake maker, a candle maker, like any maker, there's always a place. The trick is to do something a little bit differently to make you stand out, to make you provide something to your potential customer to make people talk about you in a little bit of a different way. 
And let me share um, some examples with you. Okay, so since we're in the consumable angle, there's a company called The Cookie Joint, and they do cookies, so similar to cupcakes, right? Uh-huh. They have a product called Cookie Fries. They're shaped like French fries. They're served in a bag as if you think about like a McDonald's small fries with ketchup, right? Uh-huh. They have cookie fries that are really like shortbread cookies with chocolate dip. Oh, that's so cool. But what they've done is they've separated themselves with not all their product line, but one product. They've separated themselves by shape, right? Mm-hmm. So they have a cookie that's shaped like a French fry. Who would have ever thought? And it gives people a way to talk about their business. So even if they don't want, if they just want like regular chocolate chip cookies for a party, oh, go to the cookie joint. They're the company that does these really cool things called cookie fries. Oh, what are cookie fries? And then they talk about it a little bit. Like, so you're giving content to your customer to be able to talk and share and refer you. This is one way of standing out. Okay, and there are a number of different ways. Like, we don't have time to go through all of them, but shape is one example. Location's a great example, too. I don't know if any of you guys who are in the Los Angeles area know the bar that's called Good Times by, what is it called? Good Times by Davy Wayne's. You enter into the bar through a refrigerator door. Like, literally, you open a door as if it's a refrigerator, and that's how you get into the bar. So how cool in terms of another talking point, a way to stand out, you know, like half the people don't even, they're like, what's that bar where you go through the door, the refrigerator? And everyone's like, oh, good times with Davy Wayne's. Like people know it already. Or people come home from vacation and say, we went to the coolest place. And it's not necessarily the coolest place because of what's inside the bar or the drinks they serve or whatever. It has to do with that door. It's memorable. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, those are ways to stand out, right? So, um, okay, so location, colors. We all know Lily Pulitzer and Vera Bradley. Like when you say those names, you can just automatically think of those brands, right? Um, And I could go on and on. I don't know. I can give you another example if you want me to. But the point is making yourself stand out in some way that may have to do with your product or may not. Yeah, even naming your products, you know, like you'll see that with OPI nail polish that they really opened up in salons and they had really cool names. So any way that's creative or a twist on what you're already doing, it kind of adding your own little personality to your own brand. What are some ways that you've seen some of your clients sort of like execute that and stand out? Like what are some other interesting ways? Um, Well, I I do want to get to one that everybody has. And that is what's big right now is showing yourself as a business owner, you know, and going on live or going on Instagram stories or, you know, whatever it is, you are a differentiator for your business no matter what. And because we're makers, the story about how you started your business or what you're doing in your business is a story and it will attract the right people to your product too. So I always feel like that's an overlay on top of anything else that you would do is showing yourself. Now it's the easiest and also the hardest thing for people to do, right? Um, Getting up and talking about your business or showing, being face to camera, you know, and showing who you are behind your business. The great thing about makers is there's so much content. 
you know, you can show how you make your product. You can show yourself at a craft show. You can show interaction with customers. There's so much that you can do. In turn, then, you're getting your customer to be able to know you on a personal level, whether you're selling locally or now online, if you have an Etsy shop. And the more people bond to you, the more they're going to continue to support you. I have a wonderful example here. Um, Sheena makes sugar scrubs. Like, so that, that whole pampering industry, I'm really loving. She sells at craft shows. She has a following like crazy. She's not the most like clean stream. Like she gets online and she's just crazy. She doesn't have her makeup on. She's behind the scenes. Her place looks like a mess. She's so personable. Her audience adores her. She sells out of her product immediately, instantly, uh, all the time. And she's not refined. She's just herself. And yeah. people adore her. Not, maybe not everyone would like her style, but people adore her for who she is. I think, I think whether it's you in front of the camera or just showing that your company is made of people and these are the people that are making it, choosing it, packing it, letting, letting you see the behind the scenes. I think that is just super interesting as well. So it's kind of that like voyeuristic um, reality show-esque way that people are like, ooh, what are they doing now? And I think if you, if it's not always like about your kids. So if you're, if you have kids and like your customer doesn't have kids, don't include your kids, but include things that they can relate to. It's a great point. It's a great point. And I think a lot of people will shy away from that because they'll say, well, I don't want to share all my secrets. Like, I don't want to show people how, like for, for some, maybe, no, maybe you don't want to show your sources potentially. Right. But the truth is that most people aren't equipped nor does anyone have time to start doing something like making candles on the side or something unless it's not their thing already, you know? So I think it's kind of an easy out just to say, oh, I don't want to show anybody anything, you know? And then it, if, and if you're adding yourself to it, and this is the other point of just showing yourself you or showing people you is let's say someone made the exact same thing you make, you know, through the same factory or with the same materials or whatever it was, nobody can be you. Right. So no matter what, that's a differentiator right there. The one thing I'm finding from the podcast is that you don't necessarily have to be the face. You can simply be the voice. So if you're showing your hands in the making, you're showing, you know, your creative process, just like how people get very obsessed with watching people plan out in their planners, literally write, writing in their planner. This is what they're doing. This is how many glasses of water I had today. You know, it's so interesting, right? Because it's like you live a little bit vicariously through them. And I do agree a hundred percent that the reason why some people don't do it is because they're afraid of copycats, you know, people coming in, stealing their ideas. But at the same time, it's just like what you said, nobody is you. And then, you know, and there is always, they just, they can't copy everything about you. They may be able to copy one product, you know, they can't copy everything that you're doing you are and what your personality is. Everything. Nor can they, nor can they be in your head and know what you're thinking about doing. Right. Right. So if you're creating things or, you know, and sometimes it's just the experience that you take your customer through, you know, what do you include in the boxes with the product that's being sent out? 
and I'm not talking about kickback coupons and things like that now, but I'm talking about is there a special note that you put in there that changes regularly that someone couldn't copy or something else that you're doing with your interaction with your customer e uh, it, through emails or more in person when someone opens the box or whatever it is. Um, they're not going to be able to figure that out. And if they do, that's okay because you, they're still behind you because you're doing something new. We we interview Melina Palmer. She's going to be on. I don't know if she's been on or before or after when this episode airs, but um, she even talks about just like touching and texture and stuff. And so I brought up like QVC and HSN. So if you, even if you did video where your hand is touching the product or you're just showing, I'm using my hand right now, but like you're showing a jar moving or to scale, whatever it is, it could, you, what is it? The Muppet Babies when it used to just be her legs, like her feet in it, the, yeah. the cartoon where you're somewhat interacting and like you said, your voice. I think we, we have a client, um, Yearly Co., who does such a good job at in, of putting herself in it because she's actually a maker. She makes anniversary um, gold bangles for every year of your anniversary. So she taught herself how to be a jeweler. She still makes it. She does outsource, I think, some of it. And then she, but she's a part of it. So you, you, for her, like you, she shows you her life as a brand, not her kids so much. It's more about her as like a female business owner, her making it and like the, her beautiful surroundings kind of thing. Um, so you could be as far that way, or you can look at other companies. I would tell people to look at really big brands and how they, not really big, but like I've talked about this all the time, but Uncommon James, um, on Instagram and it's still owned by a single person, but you can see sort of how they make it a little bit about the person who owns it and very much about the product they're selling. Right. You know. People are interested. It's shocking. And I think, you know, as your business grows, if you're not the one who likes to be the face all the time, you can have employees do it too. I've yeah. seen that be very successful too. Go in and engage and interact, whether it's DMs or I like polling, I like teasing, I like, you know, like teasing to the example of wait until you see what's coming up tomorrow. Like just goofy stuff like that. And my audience seems to resonate with that. Um, but I'll have them interact with me too. You know, if you think you know what it is, DM me. First person who gets it, you know, like things like that. But yeah, yeah. and it's be fun playful. too. You know, and, and we ask clients all the time, like how many more customers do they want? You know, and, and that idea of the thousand true fans, right? So if you get a thousand people like fully committed and interacting with your product, is that enough? Well, if you can keep selling to them and they feel like they're part of it, that's sort of like that initial, if you can get to that, then it gets easier, right? Then it might actually organically take off on its own, like past what you can do. So I know a lot of people aren't comfortable with video per se, but um, even if it was like once a week you went in and you did your own QVC HSN show where you, you know, are just sort of up in front and they're getting to see you, but then the rest of it is sort of like, again, that behind the scenes idea. But yeah, I mean, I think you're standing, the, the idea of how to stand out, um, and I think you say it like not just be another cupcake or another candle, um, it's something that people should really push themselves towards, like really figure out like how they can be different. And we had seen it in those candles. Remember those candles we found that were like um, adulting? There was like an adulting scent. And so it was like, and I remember it. So adulting smells like um, waking up early and having to go to a job. I don't know. It was something <laughs> like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was like really creative theme and it was really creative. So it wasn't just another like Jasmine scented something. It mm -hmm. was a cool label that made you think about it. It's really important. It's really important. I call it a unique special power. And when you can find and your, your unique special power can either stay the same 
or it can change over time. You yourself are one of your unique special powers, right? But it's really great to identify and put something like that within your brand of whatever your product is because you're providing a way for someone to talk about you. You know, just like what you're saying now. And if you don't, let's face it, a thousand true fans, right? There's never, you're never going to retain those thousand all the time. There's going to be some who come in and some that go away. So if you can naturally help people learn to talk about you and spread the word by providing them the content that they need to do so, that's going to help you stay at that thousand. I love that so much, unique selling power. It's so much easier to think about when you phrase it like that. Special power, special sauce, all that stuff. Right. I think that's a perfect way to end it. Um, Jacqueline, should we wrap up and with our fun secret power questions? No, they're just really simple questions. <laughs> oh, I forgot about this. It's fun. And then, you know, oh, I asked no. the question about like alter ego or stage persona. I think that sometimes like if you give yourself that like your special power, like I used to call myself a dragon slayer to get myself going, you know? And so I think when you start to identify that, like your special power and then also just whatever you need as like the persona, if you have, if you don't feel comfortable being the face of your brand, put on that mask, put on your Beyonce, like Sasha Fierce and, and go and get it because you're, that's what you're going to do. You're going to bring your, your, I your love that. Them. That's awesome. That's great. So, okay. So let's jump into these questions. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> At least I think they are. Um, so what is your coffee order? My coffee order lately is a cold foam, cold brew. What is the favorite thing on your desk? The favorite thing on my desk is a rock that has my focus word for the year. And my focus word for the year is visibility. And it makes ah. me, it just makes me stay grounded. Mm-hmm. It's on my desk too. And you're, you're on our podcast. So you are hitting your word. Um, so finish this sentence. When I pick up my phone, I look at my messages because that's where my family is always talking to me. And my kids now, I'm an empty nester. My kids are out of the house. I'm traveling a lot. My husband travels a lot. So that's the first place I go. Facebook um, messages, is that? No, just oh, the regular oh, message messages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You should get your kids on Voxer. Mm-hmm. You should get your that kids on Voxer. You should see some of these threads. They're pretty fun. I think- <laughs> All right. So um, you wish you knew how to? I wish I knew how to meditate. I really need to get going with that. So, and I'm working on it, but I'm not, I'm trying to meditate, but I don't know how, and I certainly don't do it well. Sounds like you're overthinking meditating. But Headspace, <laughs> I think they have a free trial. I, I've now I'm on my second year of doing it and there's like one-offs. I, and Andy is the voice in my head that makes me calm. So that's just my promotion there. All right, I'm okay. trying, but I might be trying too hard. So. Okay. True. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, what was the last show you binge watched? The last show I binge watched was the whole season of Grey's Anatomy. Oh, oh holy moly. <laughs> I still somewhere at the end. Um, all right. What should the title on your business card actually say? Workaholic and I own it. <laughs> Do you have an alter ego or a stage persona? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. This was really... You know, I've heard you talking about these questions and I wanted to give some more thought to it. The first thing that came to mind for me was Martha Stewart because mm. 
whenever I have friends over and I have my girlfriends over every Friday night, my girlfriend, we all, my girlfriends and I all get together and it's either at someone's house or we're going out or whatever. And I love like making a party for us all, you know, or gardening or like whatever. So I'm kind of an inner Martha Stewart, but I never have time for it. Uh, so last question, Sue, um, what advice would you give baby Sue as an entrepreneur now that you're grown up Sue as an entrepreneur? Well, I am still giving this to me myself still to this day, but I would wish I would have started this a long time ago. And that is trust yourself and just chill out. (laughs) I love that. Analyze. Don't stress about it. Just chill out. Yes. Such great advice. So Sue, tell our listeners how they can connect with you. Um, they can come over to giftbizunwrapped.com. That's the source for all the maker stuff. And I would love for you guys to join me over on my podcast, also by the same name, Gift Biz Unwrapped. Great. Thank you so much, Sue. It has been so much fun. Thank you for having me on your show. This episode is over, but it doesn't have to end. Head over to our Facebook group, search for the Product Boss Biz Community, or the link is also in the show notes. Come connect with other product bosses just like you. We'll see you in there. If you love the Product Boss Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, share, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, product bosses, let's make it happen.